0: Yo, what's up, people? This is the Solar Kid, this is the Other Side of the Sun podcast. And I got my man, Jason Goliath in the house. Ba, 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 ba. Okay. Yes. So excited to be here, my brother. So excited to be here. Bro, I'm honored, man. Um, for those who don't know, in 2015, Jason Goliath was recognized as... Don't, don't do the whole CV
1: thing, the... man. Come on. Yes, it's so embarrassing. But I'll wait to yeah. it, please. I haven't had a close
0: in a long time. Yeah, right. one of Africa's best comedians and was invited to represent um, Africa at uh, the Montreal uh, Just for Laughs Festival. Is that right, my brother? That that is that is that is
1: correct. I did uh, I did. I was uh, Comedy Central Africa uh, uh, took me over in 2015, and then I went back in 2017 for Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud. We shot in the law. A little special, but still my my happy place. Probably like the it, it, it's its mecca, but for comedy. So how does I that
0: represent Africa, bruh? <laughs> you know
1: you know when 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 comedy centers copywriters write the things, you don't get involved, bro. At that point, you know, you're getting a free ticket to another country. You don't ask questions about mm-hmm. this. I mean, these are details that do not concern too many people. You just go, I mean, I didn't write that copy. I that's all that matters. I didn't write the copy, but yeah, I was there for free. But
0: nice times for telling jokes. So, for those who don't know, or those who do know, Jason is a comedian. He is a talk show host, right? You had your own. Um, yeah. So, currently. Uh, Radio broadcasting on yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do breakfast, breakfast, uh, on Kaya FM, which is which is
1: great. Uh, and I celebrated one year of radio this month. How long have you been in this game? Like you've
0: been doing it for a while now, right?
1: So so I've been I've been in enter- in entertainment for, for nine years. Um and I've been like proper in entertainment for nine years and I've been in radio for one year. It was, mm. it was crazy because the, the first, my first day at Kaya was the first time I'd ever hosted a radio show in my life. It was I've it was, so been doing radio for exactly uh, one year. It was one year on the 2nd of July. Now, yeah,
0: well, you've always had a voice for radio, bro. Lucky yeah. I voice for radio. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Listen, I, I, I have very few good features. I'll take voice and hands.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, um, uh, let us uh, go a bit on a trip down memory lane, bro.
1: Yeah, because I would have preferred, instead of talking about Montreal, and and just for laughs, uh, in the bio, I would have said, uh, uh, performed next to the great Keenan Bailey uh, in the Bossmont Congregational Church Sunday School annual concert. You yeah. used to do it like the bosses
0: yes. back in the day, son. That was us. We were the lead characters, the lead used to fight over the solo uh, piece for the yeah. performance. Yeah. I remember yeah. one year you got it and I remember you made um, Cuck and I was just like, yeah, you see, I should have been singing that fucking solo. I, I'll never forget that. I asked him
1: to start the track again. That's how proud I was. I was like, I will oh, get it. let start this track one more time. They were like, we started it three times. I was like, say, the fourth time. <laughs> I think that's I when, think when I shine. That's when I shine. up to uh, console you as well. You see, that's the best- you No, know, no. With the, with the, and you were consoling me with a big smile on your face, and I remember uh, uh, Mr. Winner just
0: comforting me there. You know what I mean? Was just, just... You were just—you see, you were the favorite, bro. Me, I never felt like uh, I was—I was loved by the um, church. No, people. that's because
1: I—I I was the one that reflected the church, while you were reflecting other things. I wasn't the favorite because of any other reason. <laughs> I was actually a good Christian, lighty. You, on the
0: other hand, many Christian marks me. Yeah, no. I mean, I still feel this day. <laughs> from many of these things, bro. All So, and then obviously we uh, we went to high school together as well. I remember yeah. you and uh, um, yeah, Bradley chilling by the boys' toilets. And, and Alistair? Alistair is the oh, chill with us? Oh, of course. Of course. How can I forget Ali? Where's he now? He's uh, in Canada or something, isn't he?
1: I think I think he's in camp. And the last I heard, he wasn't well. The last I, the last time I heard about Alistair, he was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the crazy part about 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 our Because it's so difficult for me to not picture you as a as a young boy, like because you're you're a man with a family and children. But when I see you, I still see you smoking behind the. You know what I mean? I still <laughs> I can't I
0: can't ask you too. like what was that like, bro? Like because to me. I always thought I knew what was going on, but when I look back at my life, I think fucking hell, I look at you and like, you guys always seem so mature. And like this new But me, I was just, yeah. I
1: always thought the other way around. I always thought I was the kind of immature, uh, uh, not a scary cat, but I was always the one just that was very conservative in my decision making, you know, and and you were the one that was out there taking risks, getting all the girls because you were thin and you had wonderful legs. And, and you could swim like the white boys, and it was, it was confusing? It was confusing for but men, you were, you were, you were out- us. But man, you were—you were the That The one thing you were was always consistent, and that consistency was that you were just always cool. You just never—you just always seemed like you didn't have to try to be cool. You were just cooler than everybody <laughs> without trying except those few months you dated your cousin by mistake
2: I don't think that we are just don't cool <laughs> 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 it mistake it was an absolute mistake
0: hey, that was by mistake uh, I'll have to uh, omit uh, have to you can it. just deep that old part huh? yeah no I don't really edit the podcast but um, nah, that's no I going up you know what I'm saying so yeah yeah that was life, man. And then I think, obviously, when we finished school and stuff, you you went to university, right? So did you go study? You went to where? I went. No, I uh, I went to
1: Varsity College. Okay. And uh, first year was a was a breeze. Cause first year was just like high school. I didn't have to study or do too much work. Um, and then second year, you realize that stuff is real here. Um, and then I failed dismally. And then I failed again. And then uh, the next time I failed, I was just like, Yo, mom's wasting your bucks." So I didn't I didn't finish. I did I did an extra subject in my first year to get a diploma. Mm.
2: Um
1: so I got a young diploma. I did a graduation ceremony just to make my mom's happy. Right. Um but yeah, so I went and studied I went and studied marketing and then I just couldn't I couldn't wait to get into the world and make money. I was a young young Jason was just obsessed with money. I just wanted to be rich. You asked me what I wanted to be, I was gonna say rich. And I just couldn't wait to get out of school and out of these classes that at the time I couldn't see the point and I just wanted to just let me out there. I just, I just you know, because I was always willing to work. Um, and even though I worked through, through varsity, kind of, that, that's, you know, I used to do the MC stuff at, at, at Macra. I used to do the, the yeah, selling on the
0: floor while I was a student. Yeah, I remember that. Time. I remember seeing you and mm. Ken now and again and uh, you guys mm. by your PMs, you know, talking about your, uh, you know, the trances. <laughs> I'm still that guy. I am, I am
1: still exactly that person. If anybody wants to talk people stuff, I'm
0: your guide. I know yeah. that show. I know Reddy D does some uh, Petrohead type of show out
1: there. It, it it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen anymore. But weirdly enough, I interviewed Reddy D like two weeks ago, um, and he's he's still deeply entrenched. But he does like uh, road safety. So they got this whole safety campaign,
0: and they promote safety, and he does drifting and um, still into, but still a legend, still yep. a legend. Was, bro. He, he is a legend, a living legend bro. like without. Yeah. Being, you know, spoken to a few oh. camp- from Cape Town from the early hip hop scene and we were just yeah. asking, like how you know, prominent and prevalent they were. Like I remember prophets of the city coming to Bosman Primary School when I was. Mm. A- mm. And um, but then these are ones by the awards, yeah, they're not uh, honoring these guys. or are they have they been uh, recognized? or are they in the, the mm. sort uh, up, you, you you know,
1: I, I really D, D, D definitely won, won some awards, but the, the guys never get uh, the proper credit they deserve. And, you know, for me, I, I always put it down to the fact that there's, A, so much politics, and B, so much non-talent. And, and when I say non-talent, I'm not saying that, that talentless people are winning the awards, but I'm saying that people are not necessarily winning the award based on talent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean it's all the superficial stuff around it your hype
2: uh, you yeah, know the, the uh, industry. <laughs> yeah
1: so it's like you know uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things but I think what, what I still like is I got to do a tour with uh, for the last two years we do a, a
2: show well this
1: year this year was, was cancelled we did the first one for the uh called uh, Big Five Comedy Show and uh, D is the, he's the DJ on the tour and he kind of sets it up so he plays uh, in the beginning and then brings brings all the acts on. And he is in, impossibly the best. Like, I can't even... The guy can mix... He would mix the audio for the introduction into the track while he's standing and scratching with his face. Like, it was
0: yeah. so good. So, that being so good. Was so that uh, you, Joey Rustin... Uh, yes, yeah. So, so I've the, the lineup
1: kind of changes uh, every year. I did it for the last uh, uh, two years, um, and on on my tour, I think the first tour was myself, John Blissmith, Troy Razdeen um, I think Tumi Murake was on one of the shows, uh, and of course, hosted by Stuart. Um, no, I like the first one was Barry Hilton, not Tumi Murake.
0: Oh yeah, he's, he's he's one of the old school legends, huh? Yeah?
1: Which was which was great, and then I think they uh, sculpt the re- Note, uh came in. Uh, I think John Blissman stayed, and Toomey uh, came in, which was which was great, a phenomenal.
0: Me about this, bro. Like, I mean, when I was before I left, I mean I left for London in two thousand and five. I mean before that, there was like Cool um, Runnings. I mean when I used to do poetry, they used to have a comedy night there. There wasn't much going on. And then all of a sudden, a couple of years later, I see you a uh, national celebrity, Goliath and Goliath comedy nights, a witness day. What ah, dude. So, I mean, Cool Runnings, obviously,
1: is for me the most historic room. It's the room that I did my first time in. It's the room that Nicholas did his first time in. Donovan were obviously my, my, my business partners. Um, and we, we were busy shooting a docu- documentary. So, I was actually at Cool Runnings on the weekend, which is now a parking lot. like. What? It's a parking lot. So it's, it's it, it closed down. I performed, the first the first time I ever did comedy was the 3rd of July, 2011. And we were booked to do it again on the 9th of August. I think it was, if the dates are right. And it closed in that week, just before we were about to do our second performance. Um, and it wasn't that the comedy wasn't doing well. It was that the, the restaurant that was around the comedy uh, wasn't. And they, the owner had sold it. And then they, they demolished the building. And it, it's literally a parking lot. It's when I, it's a parking lot.
0: It's, that's what it is. It's, yeah, I if did they not fold it up not With the performances there. Too many on the volume is to perform there. Dude, dude. Yes. It, was, it was, for me, it was, and it was so
1: emotional just, just standing there because that place gave birth to uh, South African comedy the way we know it now. And I think kind of before Cool Runnings, uh, comedy wasn't you know, westernized so to speak. It was yeah. it was it, it wasn't the way we, we consume it on, on, on television. It was just normally a guy telling jokes for an hour in a in a random in a random place. And cool runnings did so much for so many people. Trevor is, is a product of, of of cool runnings. So Trevor Noah's cool runnings, Luis Obola, all the all you name a big South African, chances are their roots uh, started at, 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 at cool runnings. And it was just this majestic place for thirty Rand. Uh, which in your currency now is like minus three cents. I think we have to pay you. I think that's how it was. We have to give you money to come in. Um, but like for 30 Rand, Nicholas was reminiscing about the fact that he paid 30 Rand and the next thing Chris Rock was on stage. You know what I mean? Like crazy, crazy stuff like that. So just an iconic room. And I think what Cool Runnings did was it gave birth to these guys who became super famous and and and. and John Vlismas, who used to run core cool runnings I think, is responsible not only for so many careers, but I think that I a lot of people credit Trevor Noah with the ability to to have a matriculant tell their parents that they want to do comedy instead of go and study and not get smacked around. Uh, but I created I credit John Vlismas because he created the platform for all those guys to to kind of do what, what we now do. So we we started in, in, in 2011 as the underground kind of closed, which was which was beautiful and and sad. Uh, But beautiful because it was it was kind of the next phase, you know what I mean? The newer the newer generation, and there was this intermediate generation that we that we fell into, and um, then we just worked our asses off. I I think that the major problem was and still is in South Africa that there were never enough platforms to perform, and that's what we put our time and energy into. We just performed and created spaces for other artists to perform, and that's what we just focused on. and it's it's paid dividends tenfold. It's been the biggest blessing of my life. I get to have fun every day. And although I do radio, although I do TV, I still I still identify as a comedian because that's my that's my. I do the other stuff
0: because I'm a comedian, and that's how I feel. So what happened after then? I mean, there was uh, you guys had the place in four. was it four ways or um, so? There's.
1: There's uh, there's Joe Parker's Comedy Club, which is now since COVID, it's the only comedy club again on the continent of Africa, which tells you just how starved you know the continent is for for platforms to perform. Um, and then you know we'd run a few gigs at some point we were running like eleven gigs a month at different restaurants every every week, um, which was fantastic. But you know it needed to to be formalized. And then we decided, well, if we're gonna do it, let's go all in and let's both. Well, our ambition was to pull the best comedy club in the world. That's what we, whatever we wanted to do. We were like, let's pull the best comedy club in the world. Let's use the bank's money, um, and uh, and give give comedy what we considered to be like the ultimate gift. So we opened a comedy club in Narrows Arch, which is, I, I'd say, easily the most expensive real estate on the continent. Yeah. Uh So it was this absurdly expensive environment, and we just wanted to make it accessible to everybody, so that if you if you worked in a call center, you would tell your girlfriend to dress up because you're taking her somewhere nice. And if you were an MD of a big blue chip company, you'd feel comfortable sitting at the table next to the call center guy because it was everybody's place. And it, it did it did what it needed to do. It won us awards. We've we won many awards for, for, for being the best friend of, of South African comedy. And, uh, you know, it, it, it ran its course. And what ended it was we got an offer to sell it. And like, if I look at, so we sold it in, in May twenty nineteen. Um there were, when I say sell it, somebody bought us out of our business, somebody wanted to get in because nobody could get into that to that center, which was, you know, quite expensive. So somebody made us an offer because they wanted to open a business there. Um, which which meant all of our risk was taken away, all of our money was, you know, kind of kind of came back. But it also then freed us up because the thing that you realize is, is I don't want to own a restaurant ever again. These are lessons that you learn. Like I don't ever want to own a restaurant again. I don't wanna I don't want to chase people for stealing chicken and eggs, like you know. That's not, that's not my vibe. I want to make, I want to make jokes. Yeah. And uh, we sold it to be able to, because you got to choose at some point. Are you a proprietor or or are you a performer? Mm-hmm. And we chose, we chose, we chose performing. I was and,
0: lucky, at least. I was lucky enough to visit once as a VIP guest. <laughs> no, but no, I mean, it's like you say, man. Like, running a restaurant is different to, like, running a comedy club, I'm assuming. It's a lifestyle, that thing, right? That thing is a lifestyle. It's not even a job. That's a, that's a lifestyle for, for people who don't like life. It's dieting. So, like, the, the live scene in South Africa, or, like, well, I mean, you obviously have, you can have an opinion on South Africa, not just the, Yeah. Um, is it because the people who can afford it don't go out that much, or the people who can't afford it don't go out? Like, what? I mean, like, how... I mean, like over here, people go out every single night of the week. There's something to do. You yeah, obviously not now in lockdown and stuff. But generally, yeah, in New York, London, wherever you can go out any night of the week. You can go see a show. You can go watch comedy. You can go do whatever. Like, what, what why, why is it so different there? Why is this not? Why hasn't it ever? That, so I think
1: one of the one of the crimes, and then I think that very often we forget we're a third world country because we have first world spaces. Um, and 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 South Africa is designed in such a way that you never have to see the third world. Like, you know, you can get all your essentials in a, in a first world space, but A, we forget that we're a third world country, which means compared to, to, to where you are now, for example, uh, where the majority of the population would be the middle class, the majority of our population is not the middle class. The majority of our population exists on the breadline. So other than it being a financial thing, there are still more than enough people from a middle class perspective to support, but... What, uh, what I think one of the crimes of apartheid was was because it separated everybody's cultures, it also robbed us of a proper theater culture. And what you have there is, is not only a culture of going out, but a culture of supporting live performance. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of industries that were built in the back of that theater culture. Just the same as in the U.S. Because they've got such a big theater culture, comedy was able to piggyback on that culture as an alternative uh, to going to Broadway, for example. You could go and, and see uh, a live a live comedy show where the theatre in South Africa, by my opinion, is is dying even even faster than comedy is because there was never a big, big theatre culture um, and and with the onset of of digital, uh, our theatre culture was was too small. So I feel like in most places, theatre culture will continue to survive and, and 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 digital, yes, will be will be an option. So you now now we are. So when you left. Cool runnings, there was no competition. So it looked like comedy was very well supported because you were trying to get 150 people into a tiny room once a week. Those 150 people now are, are, have options. So before, if you in 2005, if you wanted to watch stand-up comedy, you had to go to the underground or you had to go to Mr. Video, hire a, a, a cassette or a DVD, whatever it was the thing at the time. But now we are competing with, we compete with WhatsApp. Because you get comedy content on WhatsApp, you get a funny WhatsApp every day. I get a funny WhatsApp every couple of couple of minutes. Somebody's either sending me a meme or a video. We're competing with YouTube. We're competing with Facebook. We're competing with Netflix. So there, there are so many there are so many options. And I think that um, if you'd had a, a healthy, established theatre culture where people uh, uh, felt the need to go and experience life because they'd experienced it before and experienced that there's no substitute for life, but if you've got no context for the experience and you have being offered your culture and Netflix. Uh, it's a very difficult thing to ask people to come out. So for me, I think it's, it's primarily because there was never an established theater scene and theater culture in the country for us to bold stand-up comedy
0: on. So asking somebody to leave their house at the moment is a tall order. Yeah, especially now that they're used to bloody staying in their houses as well. Dude, And, and, and the world is just
1: more and more so that you don't have to leave. I don't want to leave. I, I love being at home. I'm <laughs> like, you're competing, you're competing with my couch, you are competing with my TV. You right. compete with my Netflix and my wife's warm thigh. I'm not coming to your pride. Yeah. I'm not interested in your pride. You know what I mean? I got Uber Eats. I'm I'm hundreds.
0: It's fine. Just before we go into to COVID, I wanted to ask you. Um, so, like, what was it like? Obviously, now it's changed, but what was it like coming up in um, the entertainment industry as a, a so-called colored person? You know, I say so-called colored because.
1: I, 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 yeah. because that, that term is our term, and the rest of the world thinks it's, it's, it's derogatory, which I understand. Which I understand. Um, Do it was, it was hard. It was hard because you are fighting stereotypes, and I think it. You've never, I've I've never been uh, so close to the fact that politically. <laughs> say again. Did they ever
0: ask you? Can you get the TV for their sister?
1: You know these, are, and these never mind the TV. Calls. Now people are, you know what I mean? They were never mind the TV. But I think that, you know, what happened with, with South Africa's history is colored people were excluded from the conversation. So we were never part of any of the conversations that were had. And and that's why not much has changed for colored people. Like you go to colored communities and it's devastation, right? it's 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 it's, 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 it's terrible and it's heartbreaking for me. Um, just because I don't know I don't know what to do other than try to love the example. Because people are always saying to me, like, you know, uh, are you an ambassador? Are you you know what are you what are you doing? And I'm just going no, man. I just keep trying to, to remind people that I come from El Dorado Park. I come from where all these from where all these kids come from. And I just trying to show them that you know where you come from is not going to determine where you're going. Just you know, do what you must. But I'm so conscious of the fact that there's a lack of role models. But to, to answer your question, before I get before I tag um yes, it was incredibly difficult. But I think growing up the way we grew up, I think that we were naturally more street smart than most of the people out there. And I think that what we took advantage of from a business perspective was I advised my team very early on in that this industry is not as big as it looks. The the players in the industry were making fundamental mistakes because the industry was run by creators and there were very few business people in the fray. And I simply just said, look, if if we can create a brand that can live independent of the individual brand. So all the brands that existed at the time were, 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 were hinged to individual success and nobody knew what those businesses were. So I was just like, if we can just outwork them, not ask them for favors uh, and feed them, we're gonna be fine mm-hmm. and that's exactly that that that's exactly what we did. so I just refuse to use being colored as an excuse for not articulating my dreams. so I'm just like I understand that it's uh, that it is what it is, and I understand that uh, culturally culturally there are all those stereotypes that I'm going to be judged by, but my talent, the second you give me the microphone. My job has always not only been to make people laugh, but my job has immediately been to blow you away and to, to, give, you, to give you intimate trust, to be so talented that my race doesn't come into the equation. And, and for me, that's the only way. It's, it's, it's the curse that you've got to be better. You've got to work harder uh, to, to achieve it. But if that's the game, brother, then that's the game. So, you know, we then have a choice. We sit and moan about the fact that we've got it. Or if we know that we've got to put in more to get more out, we just put in more. And I've always been like, well, then if that's the rule, I don't make the rule, but I want to win, so let's put in more. Let's do
0: the thing. Well, many, many a success story that you read, bro. That's that's literally what it's about. It's like create your own niche and be undeniable. You know, I mean, that's a big, a major part of my work. Just, with, like with artists that I work with, the artists I produce is like undeniable. Do You know what I mean? Don't just give me a half, half of like performances, yeah. No. Yeah, whatever. You have to like, how are you gonna be better than there? there are millions of people doing this thing now? Like, you know Dude. Dude. So you and you gotta bring
1: it every time. So if you bring it consistently, like I look at I look at I look at Trevor Noah and and you know, love him, hate him. The one thing you have to recognize and if you know Trevor personally I can guarantee you, you've never met an individual in the entertainment industry that has a harder work ethic or a greater work ethic than Trevor Noah. And then it's that old Gary player saying, well, the harder you work, the luckier you become. And, and for me, I always articulate it and I say, like, because people are always saying to me, when are you going to the States? When are you doing this? And I'm going, it's a different time. I don't need to go. Trevor left, like in 2010, he had to go because the, the world wasn't as, as connected as we are now. I can stream my content globally right now. You know what I mean? You're sitting in a different, on a different continent to I am and we're, we're speaking in real time. What, what, did, what did Trevor know about Zoom in 2010? He thought it was a Mazda ad. You know what I mean? There was no, there was no, such, there was no such thing. So he had to do it. But I always tell people, like, what, what Trevor understood fundamentally was the cost of things. If you want to be the greatest in the world, you've got to give more than everybody else in the world. So I always say that Trevor loves comedy more than he loves his mother. Mm. And I'm not saying he loves his mother Less than you love your mother, or I love my mother. I'm just giving you that as a barometer to understand just how much he loves comedy. Even more than that. The same thing, um, Kevin Hart, Cristiano Ronaldo. That's it. Uh, Put the work in. Cristiano Ronaldo, I read somewhere that that last ate a carbohydrate in 87. Yes, yes.
0: Okay. Maybe ninety seven. But then, can you understand why he's been one of the greatest footballers in the world for like the last ten to twelve years, bro? Like, is you know what I mean? Like, there's this price to pay. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's absolute brutal dedication and commitment.
1: Absolute brutal sacrifice, and the hardest one, especially being a colored South African, and I feel like you relate to this, is backing yourself. You've got to believe in yourself harder than anybody else believes in you. You've got to believe you are the greatest. You've got to believe you are the best. And we are conditioned to never say that shit to ourselves. We're conditioned to that's that's you know what I mean. Why are you bragging? Why are you being whatever? So if you if you say to me that 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 you're the greatest, then in our circles, ah, who does he think he is? You know what I mean? It's it's uh, conditioning. But I can guarantee you, Ronaldo,
0: Messi, Trevor, Kevin, all of these people believe. They'll tell you they're the best. Yeah. And then they'll tell you why, and then they'll show you. It's such, it's such a weird thing. I mean, like, I know for myself personally, it's taken such a long time for me to even just be comfortable wearing, like, the best clothes that I have and shining my shine when I go out. Because, Dude. like, for me, that affected me. Even though, like, you know, who she's all colored when we grew up with, us of the costume, whatever. I never really had that. Yeah. But I never used to feel comfortable if I'm shining too much around Yeah. My- I didn't want to be like, hey, he's bragging or he's, you know, sort of this Now it's like, I'll wear the loudest clothes if I feel like it. I don't really care anymore. It's like, you know what I'm saying? What? Oh, it's a gift, that thing, bruh. Not caring is a gift. It's
1: a blessing. It's a blessing. It's also, part of the city. not, not, not caring. Back,
0: back, back by your own opinions. Mm. Literally, and people must say what they must say. So, um, how's this lockdown been for you, bruh? Like. Uh like I'm sure I mean you' were a live comedian, you know the live i know year over year the live it's, my brother's live events there they shut down ah dude it's it's
1: it's been miserable it's been so we've been on we've been on lockdown for six months now um and and it, the levels are are lightened now, you know some of the industries are going back, but because ninety five percent of my turnover was based on live entertainment, it yeah. was literally a switch, and I was not ready, my business was not ready so after we sold Melrose, we just before we sold Melrose, we'd opened a, another comedy club in Malvo on on seventh, um, which was which was perfect. It was it was the dream. It was
0: everything that uh, we didn't oh, want okay. at Melrose. Say again. I mean, when you finish, tell me about about seventh. I mean, now uh, on a year, we still the Melrose. Yeah, and, and
1: so so Melrose just put a lot of effort into redeveloping the the, the, the space, etc. We opened this club. It was just starting to build some momentum. You know, it takes about a year. Um, and out of nowhere, we were shut down. So there, there goes the club. Because now I've got, to, I've got to put my emotional comedian artist brain aside. and I've got to use my business brain. And I've been through liquidations. So, you know, as soon as the announcements came, I sat down with my lawyers. I retrenched all of our staff. Uh, and I retrenched them in the beginning because I was still financially able to give them a retrenchment package and at least send people on their way well. Uh, I closed the Melville Comedy Club down. Um, just you know, a, a full reduction of overheads because we went uh, to five percent of turnover. If that, in fact, in the first month of lockdown, we didn't have a single invoice. We made no money. The second month, we made maybe five percent. And then I realized that, and so it, it was terrible. It was uncomfortable. It was. I felt unprepared. I felt like I was ticking myself because there's so many people whose families depended on me. Uh, you know, making good decisions in my business so that they could be fine in, in their lives. And it was, it was heartbreaking. And then I kind of learned the big lessons. And I think my main takeouts are, uh, the first thing was find your gratitude, man. You know, we have options every day. You can wake up and be miserable every day, or you can wake up and find a reason to be happy. And I was just like, I, I can't keep speaking about this COVID thing in this way. Like I've got to accept that COVID has happened and it's going to be with us for a long time. And if I accept that, I can't let that affect my emotions. And it was just finding that space of gratitude. So I was grateful because, thank God, I'd started on radio, which meant, unlike most entertainers, I at least had, a, had a, uh, a guaranteed income. So my worst case scenario was there's food in the fridge, the cars are paid, the house is paid, you know what I mean, I'm, 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 I'm good. And then I just started exploring this new world. There was also that lust for uh, comedy the way it was, which which was you know live and exciting and, I cruise pumps, And now we were performing to little cubicles. You yep. know what I mean? And then, then I, I started realizing, but hang on a minute. I must look cute in these cubicles because <laughs> nobody can see the rest of my body. You don't know what the shape of me is after this point. I could be like a, a bodybuilder. I, could, I mean, this could be a whistle for a coach. Right? You know what I mean? I could have any type of shape, uh, number one. Number two, I only have to make sure that this area of my life is neat and tidy. Beyond this barrier. It's salty, my friend. You know what I mean? It's salty. It's I'm saving money on things like ironing. I only iron from the nipples. You know, up. I don't iron the wrist. What are we ironing for? We're wearing stretchy pants. And then I started, I started identifying uh, opportunities because I, I learned something so important. And what, what I learned is the thing about a pandemic is first, don't waste a good pandemic. Okay, this is a, like a, a translation of a Warren Buffett phrase. He was like, don't waste a good disaster. Don't waste a good pandemic. And, and by that, I mean, every like, motivational speaker that I've ever spoken to has said, opportunity exists outside of your comfort zone. And then I was like, yeah, I've never been more uncomfortable than I am now. And therefore, if I'm uncomfortable, this is where those Owen said the opportunity is. Those guys said this is where the opportunity is. So all I need to look for it, I need to do is look for it and get it. And then I just kept it moving. And 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 the, the secret has been that even if you move at the pace you were moving at before, you don't even have to do more. Because everybody else has stopped, you come out on the other end so much further ahead. So if you are able to Survive. The quote was, "Forget about your hopes and dreams, and put survival in the profit column. If you survive, you're gonna win. If you survive, you come out already so much further ahead of everybody else. And then that's what we did. We just we just used that famous word now perfect coveted and uh, digital became our thing. And dude, the blessings the blessings are, are, are abundant. I can't even I can't even lie. It's it's already been been abundant." But it only started being good when I stopped expecting what I had and started embracing
2: what, what is. I have. Yeah, what is, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I hope that makes some that sense. Makes perfect sense, bro. And that's, and that's a message to a lot of people out there. I hope people listening up and attention because so many people, like you say, you can get so down in the dumps. I mean, I had to go through the same thing. I had to shut down my studio. Dude. But they, um, we did that. I mean, I did the same as you. It happened. I paid up the last three months' uh, rent in advance, sorted it out, you know, and then closed the studio. Like I'm not going to hang on to this thing. What do you do? You know, I mean, we we I mean, we were just gaining momentum. We would had the premises for like four years, running our own studio, <laughs> uh, and we're getting clients. It's like uh, uh, we got money in the bank. It was like it took like four years to get that thing, you know, like like actually popping. You know what I mean? Ended like that switched off well let's yes. took me a month and uh, I did the same thing I mean I'm still working I've been working through the lockdown uh, doing loads of online uh, remote work mixing mastering print music production yeah. started studying again I'm doing my masters so I'm busy man mommy but, mommy you know you have to just keep it moving bro you know what I'm saying it's-
1: The biggest cliche, and I've been saying this so many times that I I even feel guilty, but I realize that most times when I say things, I need to hear them. The biggest visual reference for me has been that that, that, uh, team building exercise where you run over the hot coals. And then the secret with that thing is if you stop, you burn. Mm -hmm. But if you keep moving, you're going to be fine. And for me, the pandemic, you know, the whole thing was the coals. And all I needed to do was just keep moving. Just keep focused on my lane, not worry about what everybody else is doing, what they're achieving, what they're not achieving. Just keep focused on my lane, be very clear about what I need to do, and then have structure and routine so that my emotions, because yes, it's been, there's been so much anxiety, so much stress. The last thing a comedian wants to do is sit down and retrench somebody. That thing made me cry, brah. It made me cry. Because my routine is so tight, my emotions don't affect my productivity because i what got shit to do. I watch it lined up. I know what I need to do next, whether I'm in the mood or not. And all I've got to do is just do
0: the next thing because the plan is, the blueprint is there. You know what I mean? Yeah, emotions come and go, but you just keep moving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like waking up in the morning. Some mornings you wake up feeling hundreds, other mornings you wake up feeling Bro. broke. Wake up
1: and get going. You still have to wake up. And then then they just, just just choose to put your feet on the floor, man. Just
0: choose to stand and then even the rest takes care of itself. But just um, going a bit into, like, a uh, little bit about it. Do you have a, did you have I mean, I don't remember you doing much comedy before you got into it. Do you have, like, a inspiration or someone you look up to? Or, like, a, you know, people say, obviously, I mean, I love Chappelle. He's, nah. like, one
2: you know,
0: favorite. Oh,
1: dude, Chappelle, Chappelle is the coach. Chappelle is the, the, so, I've, because I'm in it, I, I think I feel emotionally different about it. And I'm sure you feel the same way about music. When People say "Who's your favorite musician of all time. And then you go, hey, man, it just depends hey, on my mood. It depends on, 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 on genres. So for me, Chappelle is the goat. For me, Ch- Chappelle is the greatest to ever do it. I've been lucky enough to watch him live a couple of times. And every time he walks on stage live, that's what he tells. Me. So like, the last time I watched him live was in Canada. And he walked out. And the audience gave him a standing ovation and then he said all right all right sit down but thank you for that standing ovation because you're about to watch the best that's ever done it and then they stood again and kept for another two minutes then after they sat down he showed us why it's the best that's ever done it was it's it's, it's sh- 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 is you were sent from the future to teach us comedy my personal favorite I think is is He's Bernie Mac, and probably one of my one of my inspirations. Bernie Mac, like my you know the late great Bernie Mac, my my spirit animal, and that's just because I think I relate hard to his his on stage on stage energy. But I'd never done it. What happened is I I lost my business. Um, we we went under the two thousand eight recession, crushed us, and we lost everything. And I was just in a devastated space because I felt like you know I didn't deserve this. I didn't make mistakes. It was like I, I did the right thing. I wasn't lavish. I wasn't extravagant. And uh, I decided to, uh, you know, try acting and presenting. It was, you know, something that I only hadn't done because I wanted money. And I, and I don't believe the fallacy of being rich and famous. I believe you either or in South African context. You know what I mean? That's true, and yeah. I was always like, I wanted, I wanted the money. And then I was like, look, clearly chasing the money is not working out. Um, and uh, I was on set shooting a big beer commercial, which is one of the first big digs I got after my, after my business closed. And a guy who's now one of my best friends. A guy who's now one of my one of my best friends, uh serving BSC, uh, said to me, Why don't you try comedy? I mentioned that to Nicholas and Nicholas then phoned and made a damn appointment for us to do a show. And I was like, dude, I was very drunk. You can't make you can't make commitments on when I was drinking black label beers. You know those things making me fall to the And that's that's how that's how I got into it. And so I, I think what, what motivated me was that was in 2011, but in 2008, Chris Rock came, and I wasn't a major Chris Rock fan until I went to watch him live, and I'll never forget. We were in a room, the Super Bowl at Sunset. There were five thousand people, and this little man walked out, and made me laugh so ugly, like he <laughs> made me laugh to the point. You no, know, and somebody makes you laugh to the point that you want to say, "Can you just stop for fifty seconds so that my stomach can unbind, so that I can just I love release?" The Dude, physical pain that guy put me in, and when I looked at the rest of the five thousand people, everybody was in the same position. And I was like, "This guy has us all in pain from jokes." He has a hundred percent command of this room. I was like, "I want that power," you know. Subconsciously, in my mind I was like, "That's what I. That's what I. That's what I want." And uh, so when the opportunity came along, I was like, "I didn't think that I was, you know, stage funny. I thought I was dry funny, funny with my friends, funny at home." And then I tried and. I can only explain it in the cliched waiting to exhale. Remember that movie, Waiting to Exhale? Like I felt like I'd been holding my breath my whole life until that moment. When I got on stage and got my first laugh, my first reaction in my brain was, I've got to work hard so I can do this as much as possible as a hobby. I've got to work hard in other things so that I can do this because this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. This is the greatest thing I've ever done. And, And the rest, when you find something and are able to do it, it's,
0: I'm luckier than a lottery winner, my friend. That's how I feel. No, I, I rate comedians, bro. Well, I rate, like, really good comedians, you know what I mean? Because it's a hard thing to make people laugh, bro. And then at the same time, as well, like, you know, they say laughter is the best medicine, you know what I mean? And people need it. People need that kind of thing. So you have a you have a, a big responsibility, you know what I mean, as a, as a comedian. And um, I, I just find comedians really interesting and intelligent people, bro. Like, um... I got to shake Dave Chappelle's hand last uh, two years ago, at least. Hate you, hate you. <laughs> I hate you, I hate you. I, I, I only hate you because
1: I feel like I could have shaken his hand, but I don't want to. I don't want I don't want to meet him because he's, he's friends with the guys. He's friends with Trevor. Robbie Collins, one of my friends, opens for him when he's here, and has toured with him in the states
0: a bit. And,
2: and so Trevor, it's
0: like the special that big uh, Radio City special, bra, and um, that he, uh that Trevor was headlining in one of his shows that he did Radio City.
1: Dude, that that, that thing was, was the craziest. I know some of the guys that went to that show and they were just like, it was the most insane. But then Trevor did Madison Square Garden. Then you just go, what? What yeah. is going on? The
0: in world in is in the Oh my God. The, the possibilities are endless. Yeah, uh, man. Um, are you a spiritual person? Are you still, do uh, you believe in God or what? What's your thing? Just a lot. Dude, I think. I think,
1: I think in my, in my own way, I, I, I definitely, I definitely believe, um, but, but in my own way. And I think, I think I've got a, uh, a, a fantastic relationship with, 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 with God or the universe, or however you'd like to, to articulate. Um, but I, I don't, I haven't, I haven't been to church. The last time I was in church was the day I got married. Um, and I, I, I the, the last time before that, I can't, I can't even, I can't even I can't even remember. But I don't think I've, I've felt more connected than I feel now, ever in my life, mm. ever in
0: my life. It's uh, I, I, I have peace. Say, so say that again. So you don't subscribe to any like particular religion or faith or anything, like that?
1: you know? Dude, I, I because you and I, I mean, we we were raised Christian. I think it's the easiest to to relate to and because i don't like having the religious conversation uh simply because some of my views are not accepted by by everybody and you know i I don't need to change anybody's mind about anything in particular i just want everybody to be happy that's Mm -hmm. me i just want want everybody to be happy so i i'm 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 definitely i'm definitely christian just because i i was raised christian um but i think i think i found i found my my connection uh my, I found my connection to God, and I think a lot of people have a connection to the church um and not not god but it's 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 a topic that i don't I don't get into just because you gotta do you man you've gotta find your best signal you've gotta find your comfort space and I just always you know even if even if you don't believe, I'm just like, are you happy? are you a good person um that's it if you, if you're happy that's that's the only question like for me, the only question I want to be asked. At the at the party did you have a good time? Because it's all we have—it's time. You're not in yeah, so you know what I mean. All these things. <laughs> that's it. So I'm just I'm just all about like like as as long as you're having a good time and not doing any harm, you are two
0: thumbs up in my in my book. Do you have any sketches on uh, religion or anything or like what what uh, what? So what's I
1: don't I don't I don't touch it. Bro. I don't I don't touch it. I don't touch it at all. Um, and I don't touch it only because I simply speak. You know, my 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 comedy, my comedy is a narration of my life, um, and therefore it's always evolving around what I'm passionate about, what I'm doing. So my last my last uh, TV special was uh, called "Menstruation: Surviving a Wife." Yeah, you, you know what I mean? And and that was because I I'd, I I'd, I'd just gotten married and uh, and I and I'd found so many hilarious things in terms of advice that people had given me, and it was. It was uh, an ode to my wife. I called it menstruation because I needed people to buy tickets, and people don't buy tickets to a show called <laughs> An Ode to My Wife.
0: It worked. How is your wife, and how's uh, the marriage been, man? What is it now? How long have you been married? My wife has just walked in. We've been married for just over a year
1: and a half. The lockdown makes it feel like 10 years. It feels like we know <laughs> each other much better because we've been together. Uh, but she's just walked in, and uh, she is radiant and beautiful, and Far, far more than I deserve is, is the truth. Uh, and she's just showed, she just showed me that one of her nails is chipped, just to bring herself back down to earth. As I was saying those things, she just showed me that one of her the nail polish is chipped on one finger. So she's still, she's still so humble up. and down
0: to earth. But she's, she's, she's great. She's she's, uh, she's my person, now. So uh, is the lockdown going to be bringing us some uh, lockdown specials, you know? Of, uh, I'm wearing a condom right now, my friend. As <laughs> we <laughs>
1: that guy with the elastic
2: band it's
1: this, of this lockdown <laughs> I'll be honest and sorry for, for parents sorry for you but like not sorry for parents you're blessed but it's like I have this has got to be the most frightening time in, in history to be a parent in our history mm. uh, to, to be a parent you've got to protect kids from so many things and uh, I just don't subscribe to the, the idea of because I'm married and then and I'm of a certain age, I should have a child. I just I just feel like, you know, my wife and I, when we get broody, we'll have a conversation. Uh, if we get broody, we'll have a conversation. And as long as her and I are on the same page and we talk all the time and we discuss it all the time. Because, you know, I've also seen scenarios where the one wants to, but doesn't want to tell the other one. Um, so we, we have conversations all the time. And I can promise you that if we get broody, we're going to make some good looking babies. They'll have my surname and their mother's everything else. Uh, and I think you'll be amazing parents. But I think that my, my lifestyle choice when it comes to kids is, like my lifestyle choices with most things, is to be happy either way. Because I think people hinge all their happiness on one scenario. And that's why a lot of people are unhappy. Because yeah. things didn't work out the way they pictured it. So for so on me… On a husband or on a
0: child, or they think the child is going to be better. Or they think no. the child is going to be… Oh, yeah, yeah. You must be happy with you, man. That's it. So for me, if we have a
1: child, I think we'll be amazing
0: parents and we'll
1: it'll, it'll be it'll be great. We don't have a child, good God, we'll have money and it will be rock and roll. What a pleasure.
0: Sweet, man. Well, I don't have many other questions and uh it's uh, it's been awesome having you on. So uh what what are you guys up to? Like if people wanna get to know about um what's happening with the Goliaths and that. <laughs> Dude,
1: we are we, we, we put out you can go to a Goliath and uh, Facebook page and, and there should still be we did we did a hundred episodes of a show during lockdown uh called Goliath's Go Live just to keep our, our audiences entertained and essentially it's just the the, the three of us, Nick Don and myself, uh, interviewing some of the most interesting people in the country. Um and some out of some out of the country. Um but uh, other than that, I am full force in radio. We are, we are full force in, in, in so, many, so, many, so many things because it's been such an exciting time with so many new opportunities. So, uh, you know, we're working on a, a, a documentary on one end. We've, we've got a corporate offering because we do a lot of entertainment for corporates. And we've realized that, you know, business has to go on. So they used to employ us live on stage. Now they employ us live on Zoom. Um, but we're trying to just, you know, build proper offerings and just be more than just talent, be more than just artists, uh, and, and, and try to be, you know, consultants of source and using all of our resources to, to, to kind of get it done. Um, but just, just, just follow me, man. It's, it's very underwhelming. My social media is terrible, but it's going to get better. I can, have, 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 have my wife okay. is going to take it over. So you can expect nicer things. Follow me, Jason, the life on everything. Uh, it's in South Africa, Kaya FM. I've got uh, Celebrity Game Night coming back. I've got Man Cave coming back soon. Uh, you can go and check out uh, one of my favorite shows that I've, that I've done. Uh, is Black Tax. Uh, currently, well, the, the B T series Black Tax which is still available on Showmax. Um, oh, 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 you can also check out Family Feud on Netflix. I did an episode of Family Feud South Africa. I don't know if it's, if it's available in the rest of the world. But uh, Family Feud South Africa is on Netflix. And and I was 10 seconds in the Vin Diesel movie Bloodshot. I got my 10 seconds. It's also an epic oh, Bloodshot. I was going to say something of Thanos there for a second. Is it? <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. I got the, I'm got. i trying to emulate him in other
0: words. <laughs> no, I thought you were going to say you were in a Marvel uh, epic or some classic, bro. My God. Anything is possible. Eh? The second cholesterol becomes a superpower. Ah, I'm there, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm me, I'm me, Yeah. But bro, honestly, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Um, all the best for you and the wife for the future. Any last words you'd like to leave the people with?
1: Face your happy. That's it. Face your happy. Identify it. Face it. And don't be dependent on anybody for it. the old colored proverb, Keenan
0: will explain, called Dala what you must. Dala what you must. It's been... uh That's the bottom line. Other side of the Sun podcast. Like, subscribe, you know the deal. Thank you for having me with. Jason Goliath. Peace.